when, when you minister to kids, you're choosing to be great. You're choosing to serve young people and give into the lives of these kids, sowing a seed, and you never know. So many kids. Donnie would tell you. Donnie shared a testimony. He'd take you back to a gentleman who picked him up, and that guy taught Sunday school for over 30 years. And he had a station wagon. He'd go get some of the kids in the hardest parts of town. And the seed that was sowed into Donnie's life when he was in Sunday school is what God used to turn him around. And now through that, watch it, okay. Watch it. So here's a product of a Sunday school teacher who's now spoken to over six. One student in a Sunday school class has now spoken to over six million students nationwide, is now a chaplain to the Oakland A's for over 27 years, and now speaks to all the major league teams in that because there was a faithful Sunday school teacher. Well, you know, I don't know if it pays off to be in the class with the kids. I'm missing out. Yeah, you are. I'm being used by God for the glory of God and impacting one life. You are missing out on God using you to shape the world and build glory in his kingdom. Amen? How many want to sign up for kids' class? Right now, I want to enroll. Amen. Two people who are already in there, raise their hand. All you backsliders get saved and serve in children's church. Amen. There's a Donnie Moore waiting for you to be saved. Amen. And then May 5th, we're going to the courthouse for National Day of Prayer. Come be with us. We're going to have a great time. We have more information coming. Amen. Welcome, my friend, Donnie Moore, the product of a Sunday school teacher. You know, Mr. Smith, is he's still living. I was thinking about when I preach in the Bay Area, sometime bring him to the service and a church where they film and tell that story because he, uh, he, he's, you know, I do a message called Heaven's Hero, and he always will be a hero to me. It's good to be back. Uh, man, we, we were at spring training. I was down there for a whole week, and, you know, the Lord has just, it's just been door after door he's open. We end up speaking uh, the, all you Giants fans, don't get mad. We spoke to the Dodgers, and um, it's crazy. He said, losers need encouragement. And um, they filmed my talk. It ended up on Dodger television this week, and then they did a story. The reporter called me, and he said, hey, we're going to do a story um, on your talk. And I said, I'll do it if you make it about the manager. And they did. They did. It was a really nice story honoring their new manager, Dave Roberts. And then we uh, went from there to the Kansas City Royals, and the Kansas City Royals, their manager, who had me speak to them in the World Series last year, uh, his name is Ned Yost. He's a black belt, John, in Taekwondo. And so it was Terry couldn't make it because he was on a missions trip. So me and Dean went with my boy DJ. He was like our setup. He did everything. So um, we were doing a feat of strength, and I, I did a thing on team. So I brought Ned Yost, the manager for the Royals, up. And we, we stacked the three walls of concrete. We just gave him four blocks because, you know, I take a chance. I didn't know how many he could break or not break. I, I figured he's a big, strong, you know, guy. He could handle four. And so we had ten, Dean, Dean and I, and on three we went to break him. Well, Ned hit him so hard he turned his knuckles in, and he just tore the skin off both hands and slit his arm. And he loved the blood because it was running. The players were going crazy. And, well, MLB, Major League Baseball, takes that and puts it on Instagram. In two days, 300,000 views, Sean. And it just got crazy because then Bleacher Report, and then they showed it on ESPN, and they did it in slow motion. And the commentators, it was so funny because the commentators are going, are those bricks real? Well, Ned Yost is a black belt in karate. And, and, and they're talking about it, and they look at Dean, and Dean got a little offended because they go, you know that guy on the right? He looks you know, he's pretty strong. But the Lou Ferrigno guy on the left... <laughs> They go, that guy looks like he could break anything. <laughs> so it, it was just amazing. The doors, the calls. I had a karate studio, has a chain across America, called me yesterday and says, will you do motivation talks at our karate studios across America? It's just, it's been absolutely insane. But when I, I spoke to the Chicago Cubs, um, their manager, Joe Madden, he, he's a character of all characters so he laid down, and I broke a block off his chest, and, and God so opened the door there and gave us favor. He's invited us next year to come to Pennsylvania to speak at his charity, to be the keynote speaker. And it's just one door after another. By the time I got to the A's at the end of the week, 
It was really embarrassing because I walked in with a two-by-fours in Reddick. Our right fielder goes, would you get those from the Kansas City Royals? <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> some of the exposure is good and some is not good. And um, I said, well, there's scholarship in 20 kids to camp. What are you doing? And um, which is the truth. And thank God for those opportunities. People ask us all the time about camps and why we do camps. Jordan, if you're in here, you, you've just made my day. And she shared with me as a 15-year-old young lady what God did. She's still a young lady. But 15 years old, the influence of a camp in her life. I have one picture I want to put up and tell you the story of this precious young lady that got scholarship to our camp last year. And her name is Serena. Serena, uh, about four or five months ago, I was speaking in Sonoma, California. And I walked in the door and she ran up to me and she had unstoppable. Our theme last year was un unstoppable. And uh, so she ran up to me and she had her necklace. She says, I never take it off. I never take it off. And I go, awesome. And uh, we started talking. She goes, I'm coming to camp this summer, even if I have to hitchhike. And I said, no, I'm sure you're a youth pastor. We're bringing you to camp, Serena. And she was just so excited, so full of joy. And I was getting ready to go out to lunch with a pastor. She walks over and she goes, if pastor uh, makes sure that he uh, makes sure that he, he wants us to go to camp, okay? I go, okay. If he doesn't, have him fire our youth pastor. I said, Serena, <laughs> I said, listen, e even if, I said, even if they don't go, I said, I'll, I'll make sure that you get there and we'll scholarship you. So we go out to eat and uh, the pastor, Steve Reyes, he says to me, do you know Serena's story? I said, no. He said, well, she was scholarship to camp last year. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he said she was living in a camper next to a meth house, and her mom was in the meth house. There were men there, and she would not go into the meth house at all for fear she'd be raped. So she slept in the camper. She'd use the bathroom in the woods, and she would go get a shower at a friend's house when she could, and she would go to high school. And a girl at school invited her to our summer camp. Serena got saved at summer camp last year. And the reason this lady is smiling really big to the right in the picture, her and her husband, uh, when they got home, fought for the rights for that young lady and won in court. And Serena is now in a Christian home be because somebody scholarship her to camp. And, you know, when when... People have told me, Donnie, you guys spend so much on those necklaces. I, I, I don't care because on Thursday night we have commissioning service and we put those necklaces, those wristbands, all that stuff, you know, shine on those kids, those young people, and we pray over them. It's, it's amazing where I'll be at. And they'll, they'll have the necklace on or they'll remember it. The Lord spoke to me six months ago. I was reading this article about Roman soldiers, and when they would get surrounded, they would go back to back. And as they went back to back, they would fight. And six months ago, he gave me the theme for summer camp is back to back. And I tell you, you would, <laughs> you would be surprised. No, you know, you wouldn't, and you being one of them. People that have texted me in the last four months and says, Donnie, I got your back. I'm telling you, it, it has been overwhelming, the, the, the friends and the people. That, that stand with you. I mean, it's just an awesome thing to know that people have your back. And, and now we're getting ready to come into summer camp. So I'm going to preach a word to you, but pastor's going to receive an offering. Every dime in both services is going to go help scholarship a young person to camp. There are a lot of Serenas out there. We did a big thing at Christmas, and it was for um, foster kids. They call them garbage bag kids. They're in Citrus Heights. There's a lady has an organization called The Glass Slipper. And um, she reaches out to these girls, and they call them baggage, uh, garbage bag kids because when they come in and seize them, they, they, everything they have, they put in a garbage bag. And they put them then the dis distribution, and then they, they take them out to foster care, and they end up in group homes. And uh, we did a banquet at Christmas. Cindy and I went up, 40 girls. If you could have saw the day before when they tried on gowns, the ladies at Bayside bought gowns for all of them. Beauticians came in and cut their hair, did their nails. And I have pictures, man. <laughs> it, would, it would just tear you up. And every one of the girls got a Forever 21 card and uh, got presents. Ladies uh, knit uh, hats and, and uh, boxed everything up. And you should have saw them, man. They're opening their presents. And at the end, man, they came on me. I went over to Jackie, 
And I said, Jackie, of these 40 girls, any of them that want to go to camp, we'll scholarship them. And she just began to weep. And, you know, one of the girls, she's 17 years old, her mom, a prostitute, her dad in prison from Louisiana. She's been in foster care since she's 14 years old. She asked to get a picture with me, and I said, why? She said, I've never, ever had a positive role model that's a man in my life. And she just wanted to get a picture. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And my wife, I call her Ironside. You know, I'm given to motion. But Cindy, we're driving home, and I look at Cindy in tears. And Cindy, Cindy's crying. I said, what's going on, Cindy? She said, Donnie, she said, I realize that these girls don't get to celebrate their birthdays or, or celebrate Christmas. And she said, man, I was watching them open their presents. I'm telling you, it was amazing. So uh, this morning, if, God, if you're a visitor, relax. But it costs about $300 to send a student to a camp. And maybe you can help a little bit, or maybe you can scholarship one. But if you can't do anything, just pray that we'd raise enough money to scholarship every student that needs to be there. So whether it's foster care, whether it's group home, or it's young people at risk, we want um, the students at our camp that no one wants. If they don't want them, we want them. And I tell you what, you give me a week, and with our team and everybody, a week with young people and with the counselors and the love, the altar time, the workshops, Tim Delina in the morning. I mean, he's worth it just to come alone. Forget Donnie Moore. I mean, just I sit every morning amazed at what Tim last year did a teaching. I wish we could film it on, I wish I had a tip of, uh, on, a, on a board. He had two boards, and he taught just the students how to defend their faith. I mean, it was just mind-boggling and so awesome. So every aspect about our camp is to make a difference in students' lives. And you guys support us monthly as far as we're doing outreaches and all the things that are happening for the kingdom. Thank you so much for being a part of it. I'm excited about the word. I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Don. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and you want to give into this and just make your check out to the church. We'll give one check to Donnie and them. And so it's just a way to be a servant. Be a servant to a young person and help and make a difference in their lives. Um, over the years, we say, well, what's camp like? Uh, as a pastor, we've just gone to camp, our kids, and we go with our youth pastors and support them and, and hang out there. But camp is an amazing place, and we've had the blessing of watching so many of our kids be changed and transformed, my own children growing up there. Uh, I've answered altar calls there. They're preaching to the kids. I go up and get saved. It's awesome. And, uh, but it's great what God does in your life and what you see him doing uh, in young people's lives. So many young men and women have been called into the ministry there, have gone around the world. We have missionaries that have been raised up out of that camp and answered the call. So when you're giving, you're not just investing in just one child. You're investing into the kingdom, and we thank you for it. Father, today we thank you for your goodness and your grace over our lives. And, Father, we give that one more life like this young girl might be saved. Father, we, we can't go, all of us, we can't be there. We can't get away to be there and spend the time there to do that. But, Lord, we can serve through giving, and we can be a servant to their need and to their future. So, Father, we give this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity we have that you would use us to reach lives and to shape futures and to release destinies in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Ushers, when you're ready, come on. Donnie, come on back. Bring the word, my friend. Love you. Thank you so much as you help us. And if you're making a checkout, make it out to Son of the Rock, not to Donnie Moore. And then, Pastor, make sure that we get one that goes toward the outreaches. I was telling the first service, I was in Vegas um, last year, and a guy was staring at me. He's in his 80s, and he just walked over to me finally. He just looked at me. He goes, Excuse me, he goes, are you Johnny Cash? <laughs> and I go, no. No, Johnny Cash looked better in his 50s than Merle. And Merle just passed away on his birthday, gosh. And he, he got saved the last probably 20 years of his life. So I was nice to know he knew the Lord. But um, I, said, I told the guy, I said, no, I think he died like eight years ago. And then a guy followed me there in Texas all through the mall, thought I was Lou Ferrigno. Seriously. He, he thought, he goes, you're Lou Ferrigno. I said, no, I'm not. He said, no, you're Lou Ferrigno. I said, no, I'm not Lou Ferrigno. 
He goes, I hate it when you celebrities just act this way. I go, gosh, I, I, you, know, you can't win. But the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate, I, remember that, that blue jacket I have that's really bright? I wore it to Dave Baker's, and I got out of the church. Dana, I'm, I'm walking up to the church, and this guy walks up to me and goes, man, do you know who you look like? And I, I did, Lou Ferrigno, uh, John, Tony, yeah, I, no, he said, Wayne Newton. <laughs> I burnt that jacket when I got home. I'll never, you'll never see that jacket again. And it was funny to watch the young people Google Wayne Newton, because they didn't know who Wayne Newton is. In Luke chapter 15, I, I want you to approach this this morning because I know the theme the pastor's been dealing with as far as God our Father. But sometimes when you go to familiar passage, you, you already think in your mind, okay, I know the story of the prodigal son. But want to pull some things out of this passage, possibly that you have not seen before, and, and just let it minister to you. The Bible says in Luke 15, 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine in the whole country, and they began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men had food to spare, and here I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead as alive again. He was lost, he's found. So they began to celebrate. And you read on in the passage, it talks about the older brother who was a religious mean spirit, holier than thou, baptized in pickle juice, mean how many know if he would have met the older brother first, he might have not have made it home? A question that is asked by, by this generation is, modern culture asks, is who am I? Who am I? But you'll never know who you are until you know who God is. I find... Myself looking away from me into the heart of God. And there in the heart of God, I find my worth. I find my significance. I, I find my identity in the heart of God. Who is God is a question that can cause upheaval in your life. Because the answer to that question decides how you worship. The answer to that question decides how you relate to people. That, that question, when it's answered determines really the history of nations. Terrorism in the Middle East and all over our world now is about the question, who is God? We have people blowing people up because of their view of God. And answering that question could change everything I thought was settled. A question that changes everything. Because I no longer believe what I think was true. And what I believe is in this passage you're going to find the most important message, I think, in this passage in the New Testament, I was talking to Pastor Don on the phone, and he was talking about, in this passage, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Three things that are, are in this passage is, um, as you can put that up, is those three, lost sheep, direction. I mean, no, the shepherd need direction. I mean, the sheep need direction, and that's why we need a shepherd, lost coin. The coin within himself has what? No value. Money, you know, when it gets in your hand, there's value. Lost son, identity. And so 
there you find the generation that I'm reaching out to is a generation that has lost their direction, has no value, and no, has no identity. And every time that happens, you're going to end up in a pig pen. There's nothing more important in life than knowing God. Nothing. And I said your concept of God is going to determine what kind of person you are. And the, pers- the purpose of Jesus coming was to show us who God really is. We see through the prophets in the Old Testament, we see parts of God's character. But nobody could show us who God really is except Jesus. And people, a lot of times, they respond to Jesus, but they have a problem because they're afraid of God. Some ways that people see God, irrelevant, not expressive, not feeling emotion, looking for a way to punish me, threatening me with hell, some cosmic and personal force. The Old Testament God of wrath. The enemy will use verses to confirm your worst fears about God. There's not a name that accurately describes God more than Father. And the word Father didn't originate with human beings. Man didn't come up with it to describe God. It wasn't like man was sitting around one day and said, you know, how, how should we relate to God? And someone said, well, let's decide to call him Father. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to eternity except through me. No, it says nobody comes to the Father. The Father. And we, we introduce people to eternity most of the time. I was just at Heaven's Flames and Gates, was it Hell's Gates and, and Heaven, Hell's, okay. I went because Jesus, my son, my, my son uh, played Jesus, DJ. So I went, <laughs> my son, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So my son, it, it was so funny because the girl he's dating gets saved and she says, I love you, Jesus. And DJ's playing Jesus. <laughs> it was really comical. She hated that part because she got saved. She goes, I love you, Jesus. She's really shy. And so DJ would every night just kind of, he didn't have a, if you know my son, he, he's, he's, he's 19 now, and he's just, he's always been funny, but like in the part, Jesus, he looked at me in the audience, it was just, and smiling. it was like, it's supposed to be a serious moment, you're playing Jesus. <laughs> it's like a, a friend of mine in Vegas, they had a, a, a Christmas thing, and he was playing Jesus, and, and they had the cross roll, and he had his hands, and he felt the, 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 the thing he was holding on to, uh, the handle f- come undone, and he fell off the cross. I mean, he fell, like, far, and then, like, his ankle, and so he was hobbling back over him. He thought he broke his ankle, and then the, the, the guards, the Roman guards, put him back up on the cross. <laughs> and um, a, a girl in the front row, it was actually the guy who was playing Jesus' wife, Jamie, had brought her best friend. And she went forward and got saved. And she goes, I didn't know that he fell off the cross and got back. <laughs> and um, so it worked for her. But uh, so in, in, the, in this presentation of heaven's gates and hell's flames, there, there's an intensity of, of people being drug off to hell and heaven. And the, the angels are down with their swords and everybody. It was just really the whole thing intense. Now, listen to me. I'm for anything that gets people to come to Christ. But, but I, I was thinking about the emphasis we have put, me as an evangelist, if you were to die, uh, breathe your last breath today, would you go to heaven? There's a lot of emphasis on eternity. And, and some people preach on hell. They look like they just got back. <laughs> Other people preach on hell like they want you to go there. So, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm like, nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And then Philip, he says, listen, show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. Jesus, if you show us the Father, that'll be icing on the cake. We know you, but the Father. And, and Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even I've been with you such a long time. Anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. So they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what does he do? In chapter 6, right there, you got it. He says, this is how you pray. You pray, our Father, our Father. Now, when we read that, because most of us know the Lord's Prayer, people that they are not even believers have heard the Lord's Prayer, they know the Lord's Prayer. But you've got to understand, Jesus used a term 
that was used in everyday family life to address God. And this shook the entire religious scene. In the NIV Dictionary of New Testament Theology, nowhere in the entire wealth of devotional literature produced by ancient Judaism do we find Father used in addressing God. Not just the Old Testament, but nowhere. Can you feel the impact of this? When Jesus said, this is the way you pray, our Father. And they're just taken back. They're just like, really? Really? If you don't know what it's like to be increasing in the knowledge of God as your Father, then you don't know why. Jesus came. I mean, think about it. One in three teenagers live in a fatherless home. 63% of all youth suicide, 90% of all homeless runaway, 71% of pregnant teenagers, 85% of all youth in prison come from a fatherless home. You know, the Bible says, and I didn't have this in, in my notes. I don't even know if it, it's on any PowerPoint, but the Son of God came to seek and to save that what was lost? What was lost? The relationship. He, he didn't come and say, that which is lost. No, that which was lost is a relationship in the garden. So he came to establish that relationship. And, and so what do you think of when you hear the word father? Do you automatically think of protection and provision and warmth and tenderness? Or does the word father paint a different kind of picture for you? See, each person seems to have a different idea of what God is like because we tend to attach the feelings, impressions that we have of our earthly father to our concept of our heavenly father. Our own experiences with human authority is usually transferred over to how we relate to God. Good experiences bring us closer to know and understand God, just as bad experiences create distorted pictures of our father and his love for us. Many people today have misconceptions about God because... They've had abuse growing up, or they've, they, they've had relationships that have been strained, and a dad that wasn't there, and our Heavenly Father's very moments being slandered and misrepresented all over the world by man's cruelty and self. There was a young man at camp last summer from Oakland, California, 15 years old, standing at an altar, just weeping. I went over, and I just began to pray with him, and he looked up, and he said, two years ago, my, my father left, and, and he told me he's going to call and I've been, I've been waiting for two years for that phone call. We're, we're doing schools in Antioch, California, and we did a junior high first. And so we spoke to the seventh graders, and then we had a 15-minute break, and we were going to set up and speak to the eighth graders. Or during the break, I went outside, and all these seventh graders are running around with recess, you know, just being seventh grade boys. And I remember walking back in while they were setting up and a group of them followed me and, and the first guy just nuzzles, nuzzles up to me and I grab him and I just joke around and put him in a headlock and all of his friends started laughing 15 boys lined up for me to put him in a headlock and I, I just <laughs> I, I kept putting them in headlocks and they kept taking pictures and the, the lady is in charge of truancy and She's an officer there on campus. She walks over to him. She's crying. She says, I watched all those boys line up for you to put them in headlock. She goes, five of those boys caused me more problems than any of the boys on this campus. And she said, every one of them doesn't have a father. And she said, they were lining up for you to put them in a headlock. I mean, think about that. A 15-year-old prostitute with blank, empty eyes mechanically performs a night a derogation on Hollywood Boulevard. She doesn't care what happens to her. She hasn't felt clean since the night she was molested by her own father. I mean, what horror is God seeing at this moment? A bedroom door bursts open. A small boy slapped by a drunk father. You left the sprinklers on. A terrified child is beaten by this tall, hulking man that he calls dad. I mean, every day, in the public schools that we're in. I mean, that girl right there is saying to me after our conversation, I wish you were my dad. Because little Karen, when I looked at her and said, why? She looked at me and said, because I don't have a dad. I mean, verse 12, give me my share of the estate. The older brother got two-thirds. The younger brother got one-third. Verse 14, after you'd spent everything, there was severe famine, and the whole country began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 14, a Jewish boy feeding pigs. Wait a minute. <laughs> pigs? That topped the list of unclean animals. If a pig rubbed up against you, I mean, there was a ceremonial cleansing you had to go through. And then it says in verse 16, if it couldn't get any worse, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. Maybe he didn't eat as he was afraid of his employer. I mean, it doesn't get much worse. But every time the temperature went down a degree, it was God saying, you can come home. With every pot he fed those pigs, every rumble of his stomach, every hog that rubbed up against him, it was God saying, you can come home. You look at Psalms 23, 6, and it said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Everywhere follow in the Old Testament is mentioned, it's translated in the negative sense, like hunting dogs pursuing its prey. It means to relentlessly go after someone. It's used of armies that are pursuing their enemy. But the one time in the Old Testament it has a positive connotation, they give it the weakest translation. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me like two hunting dogs. They'll come after me to do good. When I get away from God, mercy is nipping at my heels. The goodness of God is barking in my face, ever turning me back to God. I, I look at this passage, and I see verse 17 when it says he came to his senses. He saw himself. He looked inward. Repentance, some people think, is doing what they don't want to do in order to pay off a debt. That, that's not repentance. It, it's not feeling sorry, although that's a part. But it's the beginning, a lot of times, of feeling sorry but it's not really what's happening the word metanoia in the greek it means to change your mind you know people don't get saved when you're preaching they raise their hand and then they come forward and then they stand at the altar and pray the prayer really it's when people are are getting saved that's why you're preaching they raise their hand come forward after responding to the preaching of already what they heard they have a metanoia experience where it means a change of mind, a change in the way you're thinking that results then in a change of direction. And for people, you know, Jesus saves, but he saves different ways. What, what are you saying, Donnie? Well, people come different ways. You know, that heaven's uh, gates and hell's flames, man, that would, that would rock somebody at that night that, man, I don't want to go to hell. When my wife, Cindy, in high school read the book her senior year, or saw the movie Almond, and, and it scared her. And so it caused her to want to go to Scripture and, and find help. For me, it was in a college dorm, overdosing on steroids, and, and, and coming to that point of meeting Jesus. Most of us, if we got honest, our testimonies, we were going along in life, and a rock fell on us. We're like, help! Oh, God, help! I'm tore up from the floor up. I need a checkup for my neck up. God, I'm messed up. That's how most of us come. I'm C.S. Lewis, the brilliant mind and a, a thinker of, gosh, an atheist that came to faith. And he said the day that he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he was the most reluctant convert in all of the world. And the reason is he, he had studied the facts and he had come to a place where he'd realized Jesus was who he said he was. So he came that day to Christ he said reluctantly. Others, you, you know what I'm talking about? When I first became chaplain of the Okanese, I'm like, I'm going to win Mark McGuire. I'm going to win Jose Canseco to the Lord, and the rest of the team's going to come to Christ. Well, one day I was standing next to the batting cage, and a pitcher walked over to me, a relief pitcher. He said, man, I've been diagnosed with a bad shoulder. He said, right now, and uh, my career could be over. That day a rock had fallen on him. I led him to Christ that day. And I learned a valuable lesson about evangelism. Watch for falling rocks. See, sometimes what we do is we invite people, you know, to come to church on Sunday, but usually, you know, and it's great, but we, 
Uh, we're going to have a barbecue. Take them to a ball game. Build relationship. We need to do that. But what about the guy across the street who's an alcoholic? His wife just left him, and he's going to lose his job. A rock had fallen on him. You know, I told Pastor Don it would be a great title for a message. Watch for falling rocks. You know, just, just hear me. He came to his senses. That's what the Bible says. That means he, he looked inward, and he began to evaluate where he was at. Parents, you have a child that's away from God. And, and don't go down to the pig pen and hang some pictures and try to straighten it up. Because they got to come to their senses. Write, write this down. Faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. Faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. If man can do it by himself, he usually does. I said if man can do it by himself, he usually does. Someone told Abraham Lincoln, I'm a self-made man. He said, I'm glad to hear that because that absorbs, absorbs God of all responsibility. <laughs> There's nothing more prophetic than a man, a woman that's in love with himself. It's like a friend of mine, he said, I dated this girl in college for three months before I realized that we both were in love with the same person, her. Some of you will get that on the way home. <laughs> it's hard for God to fill a man or woman that's overrunning with himself. It's when you come to the end of yourself. And, and that's what's happening. He came to his senses. And then he says this, verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father's house and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired. Now, you can understand that, that that word hired is an important word because servants, and that's what some of your translations will have, but it's not translated servants, or it's translated hired men, and it's on purpose, on purpose in the original, and I'll tell you why. Because servants stayed on the quarter. Servants, they, they ate there on the farm, on the ranch. They, they were there. That's what servants did. Hired men were seasonal. They were, they were in, the, in the city, and they would hire them for harvest, and they would hire them for when they were planting. They were seasonal. Servants were there in quarters. They stayed on the property. And this is where this boy is at, and it's very important for you to grasp this. This is how far he has fallen. He has gone now see this in the theater of your mind. His cheeks are gaunt. His eyes are red. His hair is matted. He's feeding these pigs. He comes to his senses and he says, hey, my dad's hired men, my dad's servants. But see, people, they, they don't get, they say, well, it was God's love. No, no, no. It was his tummy. See, God doesn't care how you come. People come all different ways. And sometimes we, we try to put evangelism and in, in reaching out to people in this nice little clean box, and everybody has to come the same way. We all come different ways. God uh, uses different things in our lives to bring us to that point. And, and he's like looking at his life. And he's going, man, here I am. I've, I've spent everything. And, and now he, he has a plan. And, and the plan is he gets out a five-by-seven card. He said, I'm going to set it. I'll go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against him, sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. Here, God. Here, Dad. Here, Father. He said, I'm going to give you a piece of paper. I'm going to put my phone number on it, and I'll be in town. And if you ever need someone to work for you, just give me a call. That's where he's at. Unless you see that, you, you don't understand the, the posture and the way he's coming home. He is broken. And he comes. And, and the Bible says something. It's fascinating to me. It says, when the father saw the boy a long way off. Not a little ways. A long way off. 
from the far lands, you, you could see from the farmlands way into the horizon. And there was a road that, that led from the farm, the distant country. Maybe he took that same road when he left. Just maybe. And the father stood there watching his son walk this journey until he was out of sight. And the Bible says when he was far off, the father saw him. You don't see somebody afar off unless you're looking for them. And every day that dad was plowing, he was looking. And one day he stops and he sees a silhouette. He's standing there. Is that him? No, it's just a mailman. He goes back and he's feeding the fattened calf. How many of the fattened calf didn't get fat overnight? In the Hebrew, it's the wheat calf. It's the one they celebrate a celebration of a calf that was set aside to be fed for a special day. The wheat calf. And so every time he was feeding him, he was saying, my boy's coming home. My boy's coming home. See, some of you, you got to change your confession. See, every time he fed the that, that calf said, my boy's coming home. He was building his faith. And, and I believe he'd go in his room and take his ball glove and take his fist and hit him and say, my son and I will play catch again on the front lawn. Do you see how this, 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 this father is out there one day and he's plowing. He looks up and he sees again off in the distance. And he looks was it the gait in his walk? Was it the way he stood? But he recognized. He's torn and tattered. His clothes, his robe is ripped. He's barefooted. And the Bible says, the father began to run. Began to run. Jumping fences. Running through a field. He's running. And then when he gets to him, the Bible says he falls on him. That's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 11 when the Holy Spirit falls on you. It's a word that is more than just uh, falling like the Holy Spirit. It means to give a bear hug, to fling my arms around you and hug you until you feel my love. That's what the Holy Spirit does in services. Well, Donnie, when the Holy Spirit comes, I mean, I, I fall out in the Spirit. Well, that can happen. But you can be in a service just like this one where you sense tangibly the love of God. And, and this is what's happening. He, he falls on him. And, and when he falls on him, he hugs but him. But he stinks. But he's hugging him tight. And then it says in your translation, he kissed him. The verb in the Greek is he kissed him continually. He was, he's kissing his son. He's kissing him. But, but, but Donnie, he must have been Italian. He's just <laughs> kissing his son. And so what, what, what does the son do? He's standing there. He, he's, what's going on? Would you, would you come up? Would you come? Come and stand right here. I'm not going to hug your kiss you. Just stand right there. Right there. Right there. I like that shirt. That's nice. Okay. What's your first name? Chris. I remember that. Okay, Chris. Okay. Now it's speech time. Look at verse 21. But the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Is there something missing there? Yeah, I'll tell you what's missing. Make me one of your hired men. He stops him in his repentance. He doesn't even get to finish. And he says, quick, get the best robe. Go get it. Now, Chris, listen. See, most, most people say, why, why don't you just walk him down the street and, and then, you know, let everybody see him. I'll tell you why. Because religious people would have looked and said, look at his tattoos. Look at the way he's dressed. Oh, you know what he's been involved in. 
You know, you heard about him going away to the far country. You know, I heard that, you know, he was partying and, and living large. And No, no, no. He says, go get, go get the best robe. He, he could have walked him through the streets, up the gates, into the house and said, son, get a shower, go in there and pick out a good robe. No, he says, go get the best robe. And listen to me. Chris, stand right there. Stand right there. Listen to me. If you get this, you get the gospel. If you don't get this, then you won't understand the gospel. But if you get this, it'll make sense to you. He said, bring the best robe. And he goes, now watch. I don't know what bush they had to go behind. I, I don't know what tree they, they had to find. But the reason this happened is because God said, I don't want anybody to see you like this but me. Your sin is between me and you. You know what really bothers me? Here's what bothers me. When I see revival meetings and long lines of ancient saints waiting to get to a microphone and talk about their deepest, darkest sins, and we call that revival. You, you watch people, they write books, and, and the book they'll write is 10 chapters of all the horrible sins they've been involved in. And finally, they get to chapter 11, and they said, I got saved. God didn't care about all that stuff. I watch men stand up and, and share their testimonies, or women especially, and they get into sordid details of what they've been involved in. And my heart breaks. Now, if I'm with Sean as a brother one-on-one, -on -one, and I begin to tell him some of the stuff I've been through to help him to identify, that's different. But when people get up and they start in front of people, listen to me. If you don't get anything else, God will never shame you. Man will shame you. I believe that God took him behind that bush and he said, come on. He goes, watch this. This is so important. Watch this. That pretty almost fits you. Um, he says, he goes, watch this. He goes, he goes, I'll cover you cover you. Now, what did Pastor Don talk about? Now, we talk about the robe of righteousness. You know, oh, the robe of yeah, We're righteous and right standing. That's true. But what did he say? Where does your identity come? It comes from the Father. So he restored his identity. The ring represents what? Value. Now, also, at that time, that was a credit card. The signal ring, when they would go, you know, maybe they were at uh, a supply store, whatever they needed to get, they would take that ring, it was a credit card, and, and Put it in wax. So he gave him the ring. But the ring represents value. So God restored his value. His identity is value. And now he takes his feet. And this is what people teach on. And there's nothing wrong. Fitted with the readiness of the gospel, the priest of the gospel. All of that is good. Sandals. And there's uh, the Greek language. There was a everyday sandal. And then there was a sandal that was more for the wealthy. And what sandal? Come on. He, he, he. Put sandals on his feet, which represents direction. And he says, look, come on, Chris. We're going to walk this thing out called life, and I'm your father. A and there's times when, when you are not going to be in a place you need to be in, but I'm there with you. Let me tell you something. He was still a son when he was in the pig pen. A lady came up to me. She said, Donnie, my son doesn't walk with God. I said, God walks with him. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's why Jordan had a 15-year-old girl at camp. You can get touched. You can get saved. And you come back, and there's a little strain. And you're not making decisions you need to make. But there's mercy. There's goodness. He said, I'm coming after you. You can't get away from me. And so what it does, it wears you down, and it brings you to a place of surrender. Because you say, God, I've tried this stuff. It's not working. And God says, we're going to walk this thing out called life. And you're going to make some mistakes. But I'm your father. And, and I'm not going to leave you. And there's going to be some rough times. And there's going to be some difficulties. And there's going to be moments where... You're going to do things, and, and you're going to feel like that I've deserted, but I haven't. Because I'm not going to give up on you. See, that's the Father's love. 
And see, when people begin to understand that, then they understand. See, every religion, you guys, every religion, every religion is man scratching, clawing at the invisible to do something to get this unknown God in some way in a place where we appease him. You sit down, bro. Thank you so much. Because you did great. Give him a hand, you guys. Send him I'm embarrassed here. Watch, watch this. Scratching to do something to appease this unknown God, but only Christianity is where Jesus comes down. In the flesh. And walks out this life with you and I. God does not love you because you're somebody. You become somebody when you know you're loved. God doesn't love you because you're somebody. You become somebody when you know you're loved. Listen to me. If you don't know how much God loves you, you will misinterpret every conversation you have with him. And you see, what, what we've done, and I, I'm closing, but what we've done is we, we, we mean well, and we, we really try to get it right. And I'm, not, again, not knocking any ministry. I, I believe in anything that brings people to Christ. But when you have God as a judge and the whole issue, therefore, takes place in a courtroom as far as your mentality. And I'm not putting down. But you've got to understand, if you're a Christian, you'll stand at the Bema judgment. The Bema judgment is not a sin issue whether you're going to spend eternity. The Bema judgment is what you do with the gifts what was the motive? Donnie, why did you do school assemblies? Were you ministering professional athletes so you could be a big shot and hang out with those guys? Is that, is that your the motive? And, and then the gifts that God's given me, have I used them properly? So that, that's it. But see, the unbeliever is going to stand at the great white throne judgment. And you see, you've got you to get this and understand this. It will be confusion for you. At the Bema judgment, where is... God gave you resources. He gave you gifts. Did you use them for his glory and honor? So I met him, and so did you that are believers, at the mercy seat. So I'm not meeting him at the judgment seat. So the courtroom mentality is God is out to get you. And I heard a preacher say this recently on television. And God's out to get you because you're a sinner. But then Jesus came and stood between you and God because Jesus died for you. And everybody in the audience was clapping. And it's true for, for you. So, so God can't get you now because Jesus was punished for you. So, so whenever God tries to get you, Jesus jumps in and says, you can't touch this one because I, I died for them. That's not amen. That's all me. Are, are you kidding me? Jesus jumps in and says, you can't touch that one. Uh, I died for him. So, so who can relate to a judge? You can't sit down with a cup, have a cup of coffee with a judge. So you become the felon. Angels become FBI agents. And the Holy Spirit is a CIA. <laughs> so Jesus, he's much more approachable. After all, he took our place. So it's like Jesus is foiling the judge. He's upsetting the judge's intention. Because the judge wants to kill us. So, so the plan of God to harm you is upset. I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about God. I just hope Jesus keeps jumping in because there, there seems to be a dark side of God. I certainly can't give myself completely to him because there's a possibility I could do something even Jesus couldn't get me out of. So, so Jesus keeps God at bay. Then holiness becomes a list of things. <laughs> holiness means keeping the list of rules not so much the rules from the bible but the rules of the evangelical subculture love one another that's okay but don't smoke that's going to damn you to hell so holiness associated with dress general sadness all around and, and so It was like when I was there last week watching the play and, and people that even made it into heaven, they stood there. Is my name in the book? Is my name in the book? 
And the angels were just like this with swords. And See, in most of you, if you're raised in the church, that's the gospel. That, that's what you grew up hearing. So, God as our Father is a difficult thing to grasp. And, and, and there's reasons why. Because some of you, growing up, you, you heard furniture being broken. And you know Dad's drunk again. Some of you, listen to me, at the sound of my voice that's in this room, you watched your dad physically put his hands on your mom as the worship team's coming up. Look at me. Some of you grew up in homes where you heard your dad on a regular basis verbally abuse not only your mom but you. Some of you heard from a father you'll never amount to nothing. You're not anybody that's important. You're a loser. Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like your brother? Some of you grew up with a dad in the home, but he was never there emotionally. He was there, but he was never there. Some, some of you grew up in a home. <sighs> the dad walked out when you were four years old. You never seen him again. Some of you know the sting of divorce, and you didn't feel like your parents divorced one another. You felt like they divorced you. And you have this distant relationship with your dad. You call him dad, but you don't really know him. Some of you are raised in a home without a dad. Ne never know what it's like to have a dad. And some of you were raised with a dad that you could never please. Can, can I be honest? Can I be honest? I love my dad. My dad went to be with the Lord like 10 years ago. And, and my dad was a good man, hardworking man, honest man. But I, I remember, you guys, I'll never forget. I was nine years old, and he was coaching Little League. And, and I was nine, and, you know, it was the major league. It was like the highest level. And I remember a kid threw the ball from the outfield, and my dad was, was hitting fly balls. And I laid out, man, and I caught this ball, nine years old. And my dad just turned and said, that was a great catch. Man, I, I started playing sports because I, said, well, I just wanted to hear my dad said, great job. And, and, and if I hit, you know, three for four, you know, next time, Donnie, you can go four for four. It was never enough. In, in high school, I, I, I played quarterback. And I was an All-American quarterback. And I, I remember one game, one game in particular, I threw for four touchdown passes, 366 yards. Today's standard, that's not a lot because people throw for a lot of yards. Back then, I mean, I was prep of the week. I, it was just incredible. It, it was just the greatest game of my life. I remember, young people, you don't know what a payphone is, but some of the adults in here, I, I went over I, at McDonald's. I can take you to the place in Hayward, California, McDonald's on Hesperian Boulevard. I walked over the payphone, and I put my dime oh, in. Some of you remember that? Just one thin dime. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, we had the game tonight? He said, yeah. He said, when you rolled out of the pocket on that last series, he said there was a guy open in the end zone. He said, you should have had five touchdown passes. He, he, no, he, he, didn't, he wasn't being mean to me. That's just who he was, and that's what he wanted. He was always pushing. But see, to me, at 17, I remember hanging the phone up and thinking four touchdown passes and 366 yards is not enough. So what did I do when I got saved? God, I'm going to win more people to Jesus. God, I'm, I'm going to go. And I got into the performance trap. And God had to come to me and say to me, Donnie, you cannot love your wife. You cannot love your children unconditionally because you won't let me love you unconditionally. And God said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, will you give me permission to love you? I 
I never thought I could do enough. I'm a Christian. I'm walking with God. I'm winning people to Jesus. But in my heart, I just think I never measured up to God. And I think so many people live their Christian life in one week, out the next, striving. Work, work harder. Asceticism, beat down the flesh, burn out the passions. And when you really get down to it, there's not a word, feeling, or thought that God has towards you that's positive. It's like I have a friend, I love him, but every time I talk to him, I say, man, God, man, you let me have it this week. Man, I was, I was praying the other day, God put me on blast. Man, God just nailed me to the wall. I don't pray enough. And man, God was hitting me about my time in the word. I felt like I stopped him. I said, does God ever say anything nice to you? <laughs> does God ever say anything nice to you? I said, if you don't know how much he loves you, you'll, mis you'll misinterpret every conversation. He loves me. He loves me unconditionally. And that love causes me to want to live right. I want to live right. Not because of rules and regulations, because he loves me. Now I want to bring my life in obedience to that love. So now when I say he's a good father, it's not just coming from here out of my mouth. It's here from my heart. He's a good father. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Holy Spirit, speak this word in our hearts and rivet it home, Lord. Yeah.
let me just pray. Would you just close your eyes, wherever you're at, just close your eyes. And I want to just ask you, if you're here, and um, you said, Donnie, when you're talking about, and I hate to use this word, a crummy dad, uh, a dad that maybe was abusive, a dad that was an alcoholic, a dad that was a drug addict, a dad that uh, was never there, a dad that left you, abandoned you, a dad that caused you a lot of pain growing up. He wasn't a good father. He might have birthed you with his, your mama, but he wasn't a father to you. He was an abuser. He caused you so much pain. And as I've been sharing this message, some of you, man, there's a lot of things that are being stirred up. But would you fall in that category? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. All over the room. We... we, we all have some type of scar or disappointment because there's no perfect dad so all of you realize that we all make mistakes I know I certainly am not a perfect dad my children can tell you that but but secondly I want to ask you this question how many of you moms and dads grandparents that are here today have a child that presently is not work, walking with God would you wave your hand at me come on we have how many, that's many hands going up. How many have a sibling, a brother or sister that's not serving the Lord? How many have a mom, a dad that's not serving the Lord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we start thinking about, you know, all the people that, that have had influence in our life or we've had influence in their life. They're not where they need to be spiritually today. That's a good moment to do that. Now, thirdly, let me ask you this. How many are here today? You know, our hearts all have a tendency to wander. And sometimes the far country is not just a location we go to physically. It's a place in our heart. Our hearts can wander to a, a, a faraway place. And, and we can allow sin and things in our lives to, to draw us, to pull us away from the heart of God. And so today, God's speaking to some of you about reconnecting with God. And maybe you're here today and you're visiting or you've been coming to church for a while, but you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart. And if you're here today and you say, Donnie, I fall in that category. I, I, I'd like to today, you talked about this incredible father and Jesus died on a cross for my sins. I'd like to receive Jesus Christ into my heart today. I'm not going to stand you up or embarrass you. I, I, I'm just going to ask you to do something real simple. Say, Donnie, will you include me in that closing prayer? I, I'd like to invite Jesus Christ today into my heart to know my sins are forgiven, to know that heaven's my home. I, I mean, I'll have to question it. I know it. If you're, if you're undecided or you don't know, you can know today by praying a simple prayer with me. Is there anyone like that? Will you just slip your hand up? You can just slip it up, hold it, and put it back down. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Is there anyone else here? Would you slip their hand up and say, you know, Donnie, I'd like to know that Jesus. You can just slip it up and, and hold it for a second and, and just let me see it and put it back down. I won't tell anybody. It's between me, God, and you or if anybody's peeking on the worship team. But, but I just really feel there's a salvation spirit here today. And some of you are not sure. Today you can be sure. No pressure. 